Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael, and we're here tonight for a special The Review episode where we are going to take a look at the Planescape box set. came out late last year, I believe, from Wizards of the Coast. Thank you to Wizards of the Coast for sending us these copies to review. And joining me tonight, uh, first time on the mics as a reviewer, pretty sure, though you certainly should have been hearing his voice uh, for, on the show for a while, uh, is Jake. Jake, say hello to everyone. Hi, everybody. It's an honor to be here, as always, whenever I am asked. Well, I love having you on here. Again, you and Tom have done a lot of work on like the Twitch side for quite a while. You, you ran and played in multiple campaigns. You've done some, I think you've been on detention a couple of times. So again, hopefully people are somewhat familiar with you. But when we were looking for someone to review this particular set of materials, you were like, ooh, 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 pick me front of the line, because you already have a history with Planescape, and I think you were currently running a campaign in Planescape, correct? Yes. As it happened, the day that I found out you were looking for somebody, the, the Friday before that day, I had just dropped my characters into Sigil, the City of Doors, and I was like, well, I have a lot to read up on. And then literally the ne- on that weekend, you were like, hey, we need somebody to review. And I was like, me, I don't want to buy the books. I need books. You know, membership does have its privileges uh, and free books are certainly one of them. Uh, but you already kind of jumped to the head of the line because my first question was going to be, what is the correct, or at least what is our version of the correct pronunciation of the City of Doors? Because I have heard it multiple ways. I went with Sigil. Just okay. because of the the whole uh, portal aspect that they try and drill into about you need a certain key and this and that, it it lended in my ear to symbols and sigils, you know, and that's that's mm-hmm. kind of how I took it. Um, but I, I think at one point I was calling it sigil as well. Yeah, I've heard it sigil. I've heard it sigil. I think even like sigil. Like I've heard some wild pronunciations. Uh, though also like there's lots of D and D words that are pronounced weird. Plus I'm from Southeast Kentucky, so everything I say sounds weird. <laughs> uh, but that's one in particular that I know other people have talked about. Uh, so, so first of all, let me again say thank you again. You got some free books out of it, but this was a hefty load because this was a lot of material for you to to go through and look over. Uh, so before I'm I'm jumping around, but what is your history with Planescape to this point? Because like you said, you just dropped your players in there. Did they know that they were going to be in Planescape, or is this just something Jake did because he thought it'd be funny? Okay, so I'll try and keep it as concise as possible. Basically, um, our campaign we locked planar travel. Uh, it was a big deal where this cosmic being from Limbo, one of the, you know, the outer planes, uh, was trying to just, you know, uh, invade the material plane and cause Limbo everywhere. And so in order to keep this being behind closed doors, they closed all planar travel. And it's been rippling throughout our campaign for a really long time. And they have just recently learned that the place that they can go to fix this planar travel thing and kind of break the lock that they put in place would be at the center of the Great Wheel, which, of course, in the, the cosmology here, the center of the Great Wheel is Sigil, the City of Doors. And so it's been something that we've whispered about a bunch um, because we even dipped our toes into the um, the previous release before Planescape, which was the Astral Sea with the ships and the spell jammers and all that. And that's actually how they were able to start kind of going down this rabbit hole and then uh, they kind of crash landed their ship into Sigil where they're going to hopefully be able to fix it. 
All right. Fantastic. Well, yeah, that actually sounds like a very cool setup to get people there. I, I've i never had a lot of experience with this. Uh, the, the most memorable version I can remember, which sounds kind of weird to say that way, uh, was one of the worst games I ever played in. And I absolutely hated that we went there. Partly, again, it's just mixed expectations. It wasn't like it's bad, but that wasn't what I thought I had signed up for. Like, I, I like low-level games. It's what I run. It's what I play. And like very low level, we found ourselves there and it was just like, hey, all this wild stuff is happening. There's like polymorph brass dragons that are like, you know, running bars and stuff like that. It's like, that's cool, but we're third level. So we're not going to deal with any of that. So it was just a lot lot of nonsense. Uh, But I'm glad that you um, have come to this with much more of a a, a caretaker's mentality. And this is something you've enjoyed and, and we're looking forward to getting into. So let's jump into the review proper. Uh, so first thing to note is this uh, box set. So again, we were sent the the, the slip-covered box set. Uh, we got both copies as usual. We got the standard cover and the alt cover. As usual, I keep the alt cover for me, and I give the other cover to the reviewer. Uh, so the box set contains the slipcase itself, which is pretty cool looking. I, I want to say, at least again, I, I think the alt, alt art is always better, but I really like it. Uh, it comes with three books. There's a 96-page hardcover book called Sigil and the Outlands, which is basically like all the rules and stuff about the setting. Uh, Then you have Turn of Fortune's Wheel, which is a hardcover adventure set in the Planescape rule set. It's set in in Sigil and the Outlands. It says it's designed for character levels 3 to 10 with a jump to 17. I don't know what that means, but maybe you do. We'll get to that. Uh, It has uh, Mortis or Morts, I don't know, Planar Parade, which is a hardcover. Basically, it's the bestiary. It's the sort of monsters and NPCs and things that you might encounter in this place. Uh, It comes with a poster map and a DM screen that has alternate art on it, you know, kind of married to the Planescape setting. Uh, From what I can tell, the, the DM screen, there's like two sides or two panels that are just like basic stuff. And then there's two panels that's dedicated to like factions and some other stuff that you would need for running in Planescape. So I want to start with the DM screen just to kind of get it out of the way because I don't think there's a lot to it. So just high level, is this box filler or is it actually useful information? Like how how useful would this be to someone who's running a campaign in Planescape? So call me uh, old fashioned, but old fashioned. The, the two panels that have like the basic D&D stuff, in my opinion, is the most valuable part of a DM mm. screen. Because for the life of me, I can't remember b- the difference between like grappled and, you know, uh, incapacitated and restrained and stunned. Like what are the exact definitions of those? Because obviously your players want to be able to use that to their main advantage. And so having that right there in my face is my favorite part of, I, I use the reincarnated DM screen mostly, but because we're in this, I'm able to use this DM screen because it has that for me. The other parts that are specific to Sigil aren't super helpful if I was running a Sigil campaign um, because it's more of just like bulleted lists of things that exist in the world. Um, And so like, obviously if you're writing your campaign, you're gonna know most of this stuff by the back of your hand at a certain point. And if not, you'll have your own notes somewhere kept, right? Uh, And then the whole other panel is just a rollable table for making portals, which Obviously, depending on how you want to run your campaign, that may be something you want to be less accessible uh, to kind of rein in the mayhem 
that can happen in such a crazy <laughs> place. Uh, and as far as the art goes, I do love the art just because there's so much like cool stuff. There's like a T-Rex like in the volcano or whatever mm. that I'm just like, I'm digging that. Um, so yeah, I would, I would give this as a, you know, like a six out of 10 as far as usefulness. So I, I, it appears that there's actually alternate art on the DM screen as well, because mine looks different than the one you just held up. So there is a separate art for, for both. Oh, you know, nice. So, you know, if you like that or not. Um, just very quickly on DM screens, I've kind of, I'm starting to sort of change my overall view of them. I still love DM screens. I think you should have them. I'm a big believer of DM roles should be hidden for various reasons, including sometimes I choose to ignore them. Uh, that is a Michael thing. Not everybody believes that. That's fine. But I, I'm i starting to think that Wizards of the Coast and, and whatever, you know, whatever happens with one edition or whatever, um, I think they should change the way they, they handle that. And rather than every time there's a box set or like a new big thing that we get into a DM screen, which is only like half useful, I think they should sell like a really cool looking DM screen that has like modular panels. Mm. And then they just give you new panel inserts in each box set that, so you can choose go oh yeah i do want to you know tonight we're playing planescape so here's my sigil specific ones or make up your own i know some of the, like third-party high-end companies do that type of thing where that you know you have like uh, magnetics or dry erase panels and that kind of thing i just think that's a better model it again i'm not trying to be like starting off negative but i just i almost feel like it's a, a space filler in a way i don't know that yeah. it adds a lot but again that's my opinion we will move on all right, so of the, well, actually, poster maps, talk about that very quickly. Um, are you the type of DM that's going to, like, have that out, hang it on the wall, or otherwise show it to your players? Is it going to get used at the table? Is it inspiration for you before or after? What do you think about the poster map? I used it immediately. Okay. So the, I do love the full map of Sigil because it is a confusing, because it's a giant donut. And so it's hard to imagine exactly how the map actually works, especially with like, we use digital maps mostly with our, you know, TV and a table set up. And so it's nice to have this piece of paper that I can very quickly pull out whenever we need to reference it. The other side is still very, very cool. It has the whole outlands with the giant donut in the middle, and you can really see the landscape, the, the art on the map is really cool. And so I generally don't like throwing a map out all the time. There's a couple campaigns where I have liked having the map, like Icewind Dale, where there's a lot of moving between 10 towns. And mm -hmm. that one I actually put on the wall separate to where they could go reference it whenever they wanted and I didn't have to pull it out. But Sigil, because you're mostly in the city when you're in the Sigil part, um, I just like to keep that out. And then, oh, if we're doing a battle thing, then we move that off to the side and the battle map is now underneath. So I, I do enjoy it. I know it's not for all people. Um, and, but when it's this specific where the whole campaign is really about one location, it, it makes a lot of sense that they would add that in there. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I have a poster sized, uh, map from the Eberron. Like, mm. I think the, like the original, like third edition or second, whatever it was when it came out, I had it laminated and I, even though I don't really play much in Eberron anymore, though, I do love it. I still have that on my wall. It's like an art piece. I, I really enjoy that map. Mm -hmm. All right. So we got the three main books of the, uh, the box set here. Again, there's one that's sort of the specific rules uh, and information about the, the setting. We have an adventure, and then we have sort of a bestiary. Is there a particular order you think we should tackle them in? Uh, I, I tackled them in my own sort of thing. I did Morty's and then Sigil and then the adventure at the end. All right. Well, let's go with that then. So we got Morty's Planar Parade. 
So I assume it's Morty's just because I feel like that's them trying to nod and wink to, you know, Rick and Morty. You know, they're mm. right in the, the the relevancy train. There's also Morton Catons. I know it's, it's spelled differently, but the, just the sound of that Mort, Morty. Well, I'm saying I can't talk now. Morty, well, Morton Catons? <laughs> so they do this character, Morty will show up in the turn of fortune's wheel and they kind of do a little nudge nudge wink wink saying that he is the skull of morden canaan and so um and well, maybe we'll touch on that one. i didn't know that i just put yeah. that together because i'm smart okay yes. so we got 64 pages hardcover bestiary i mean is there any particular things in there that are just like we 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 need this book because of where we're at, like like planner planner specific stuff, or like what's the coolest thing in there? So there is a ton of really cool stuff that's planner specific. They add a lot of these like weird demons. They add a lot of constructs, which we don't get a lot of that are higher level. They go into a lot of the modrons, a lot of cool new you know dice robots, whatever you want to call them. Um, but for me, the biggest things that I liked. Um, I have a list of three of my favorite. They have these things called a debus, which they communicate by drawing these symbols in the air. Mm -hmm. um, and I, in my mind, I'm like, that is just a great way to do like little mini puzzles where um, it would like the one that they give you in as an example, it's like a leaf and then it's like lady, but you have to like, it's like a hat with the minus of an H to where it says at it's like little puzzles like that where you have to sort of figure out what he's trying to say. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and so that, that guy's, I think that's pretty cool. Um, another cool one for me is the time dragon. Okay. I was going to ask, that's the one yes. I, I wanted to ask about. Cause the ancient can make a time portal that can go up to 8,000 years into the hmm. past or future. So, and I love doing time travel crap. So yep. I, that's obviously good for me. The last thing that, it seems at first glance like, man, they dedicated a lot of this book to these faction agents mm -hmm. for specifically Sigil and the Outlands. But as a DM who likes to dig around in the, the garbage of everything else and pull out what I want for other things, these are easy to adapt humanoids, which when you get into higher level or you get into you know some kind of new city and you want there to be a different feel... You're like, great, I have to pull out this old thug from, you know, the monster manual, the same thug artwork, and he does the same thug actions. Everybody knows what a thug is, you know? Yep. Uh, and so these faction agents are, they have cool new attacks, they have cool new abilities, and they're easy to adapt to make it like some sort of specialized agent for wherever you want, not even necessarily where it asks for it. Okay. So is there a use for this? Let's say I, I'm I'm not really going to be playing in the sigil but is there some some of these that I could probably repurpose? I mean, time dragons are always cool. Mm, but beyond yes. those, are are there like places for these to go in a homebrew campaign or oh, something yeah. said forgotten? So realms? many, so many. And there's so much like nightmare fuel. There's <laughs> there's this one that's like called the Dark Weaver, which is just like this really ugly spider. Uh and you know, it has it it talks about how all these things will connect in their lore to one of the planes of existence, which I mean, you can really plug and play these anywhere and give it a reason why it was sucked from the plane of pandemonium into wherever. Um, if you even want to do that kind of narrative storytelling or just say, hey, this is a cool evil spider and I want it to live in this cool cave. Um, the one thing I'll say that I dislike about the book, um, the there is a lot of Sigil and Outland specific stuff um, that they put in the beginning that doesn't really 
I don't know. It, it, it doesn't really help because it's, it basically adds this new system called planar alignment mm-hmm. that you can add on to any creature um, that the idea is you can then, I guess, take other monsters from other books, put them into Sigil, and then give them, uh, for example, uh, here we have the Abyss, and you can give it something called Poison Tolerant. The creature has advantage on saving throws against the poison condition because somehow it was influenced by the Abyss is okay. the thought process. And it's like, so it works good in reverse for a Sigil campaign trying to pull more in, but not so well trying to pull stuff out because there's a lot of pages of this book that are just each of the different planes of existence and how you can make them more sigil-esque. Okay. All right. I, I mean, yeah, I, I guess my initial thought is I don't know how much I would use that, but I guess if, if I wanted to, I could dig in and make that interesting. Yeah. Uh, and that might be something like where you sprinkle something in, like it's a goblin, uh, but this goblin is connected to a, a a plane, and it's different. And like early on, was like, why why was that goblin gl- glowing blue? And, you know, and it's just like sprinkled in for later. So mm-hmm. I can see a little bit, of it, but yeah, it probably doesn't need as many pages as it has. Yeah. What about the artwork? Uh, I know usually we do these reviews, we talk about art, but there's so much of this. I, I wasn't sure where to bring that in. But when you got cool monsters, do we have cool art to go with it? Oh, there's so many cool ones. There's these things called Dimadans. Dimadans. Uh, that are just like these big, ugly creatures. And I don't know. I like the scary, ugly creature art. That is that is the art that I go for. <laughs> um, the, the grosser it is, the more cool it is. And luckily, every single piece of creature has an art in here, unlike the one dragon book that just came out where it was like, here's a new kind of dragon. We're not going to show you what it looks like. <laughs> um, and so that's what I like about this is they do have like even all the, the modrons, like these okay. cool things. Like there's a lot of cool stuff if you want to go into Mechanis with all these crazy robots. So yeah, there is a lot of cool artwork, and you know they have the cutesy stuff in there too that my wife would go crazy for, like the little sunflies or whatever. Nice. So then let's jump to the uh, the sigil and the outlands again. This is sort of the 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 main component, I guess, of the set. It's where you get all the rules about plane and planescape and sigil. And then I'm sure it lists some of the, the factions and the NPCs. It was a lady of pain is like the hierarchy or the matriarch of the city. So as someone who's pretty familiar with planescape, talking about you, not me, was there anything new here? Was there stuff that you learned? Is it, is it presented in a format that makes it easier to utilize at the table? Like what's the good about this book? So most of the stuff from Planescape, I believe, was from 4th edition, which in my mind, uh, I went from 3.5 straight to 5. I skipped over 4 entirely. And so I feel like there's a lot of people, you know, newbies to to 5e that are more like me that don't know anything about Planescape from 4th edition. And so looking online is where I really started my my journey down sigil in the city of doors trying to find all these old like pdfs of dungeon magazine to find this very specific lore or check in the forgotten realms wiki and so having it all in one book obviously is really helpful um i do believe they rewrite some of this lore to make it um more streamlined especially with the lady of pain they give her more of a mysterious ultra godlike existence where i think she was more grounded in the original still pretty powerful don't want to mess with her but this one like they 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 want i guess the dm to determine what she actually is um so yeah that's that's what i will say is having it all in one place 
uh, is definitely, definitely more helpful. Okay. So that's good. Um, so other than the Lady of Pain, are there uh, like leaders, high-level NPCs, quest givers? Like what kind of, or I, well, actually I'm going to start rules. Are there any specific, you already talked about the, like the planar alignments, uh, which is a rule that this introduced, but are there any other rules or like uh, feats or classes or characters? Like what kind of new Planescape rule stuff will be found in here? Uh, so this is one of the things that I put on my list of likes was uh, there are a lot of really cool character options. Uh, they have backgrounds, they have feats, uh, they have magic spells, which I really like when books add new spells. It's it's very rare that we get new spells for our, our classes rather than just, oh, here's another magic item when you can only attune like three or four or whatever. Like eventually you have to swap stuff. But a spell, you learn a spell and that's cool. Um, and of course, the, but the magic items are pretty cool as well. And so they dedicate, you know, about 12 pages uh, to all that character background stuff. It is directly all plugged into Sigil. And so it, it'll make it easier to make characters for Sigil. But if you take these characters out of Sigil, their background of a, an agent of order doesn't mean a lot in Waterdeep if you're not in uh, Sigil. So mm -hmm. um, it is it is very specific to Sigil. Alrighty. Uh, so then again, so now we'll circle back around to like the NPCs, lower flavor fluff type of so stuff. The, it seems to me more than anything that they dedicate a lot of their writing to the Lady of Pain as far as a character. And the rest of the locations, they don't give a lot of other NPCs or quest givers. Um, they will touch on a, a large portion is all about these different factions um, and they, you know, they mention, a, they name drop here and there of like these high ranking leaders in the factions and they give kind of like what they want and, but they really leave it up to the DM to figure out how you're supposed to play these 13 different factions against each other. Mm. Um, and, and so it's, it kind of sucks where you almost wish they included some sort of chart of like, these guys get along, these guys get along, these guys are neutral just to kind of help a little bit more just because when it's section after section of the same thing with a new bronze symbol, you're just kind of like, okay. Yeah. It's it, I mean, at least for me, I know I've, I've been reading um, an adventure that we're going to be reviewing soon. And like, I do enjoy those types of elements where, you know, the characters can join a certain faction or become like allied with one, which then can cause complications or advantages with like someone else further down the line. It's great. But it's really hard for you to read that just like this one and then this one and then this one. Usually they're alphabetical. They're not like allied and opposed. So, yeah, some sort of way to like visualize that I think would be super helpful, like a chart somewhere that says like these are the ones that don't like each other. These are the ones that could like each other, which I guess the DM has the freedom to do their own version but I, I need a starting spot. Even if I decide to throw it out, I still, I think that like, I'm just, in my head, I'm visualizing a chart with a lot of arrows that are yeah. going back and forth. Well, like That's I, what they could have done instead of that rollable table <laughs> on the DM screen. They could have made us this chart. Yeah, that would have been great. I like it. So Wizards of the Coast, Hasbro, once you rehire all the people you let go, uh, have one of them do that. That would be great. Yeah. But something that I do think is cool for this, um, they break down every section of the city where I wish there existed a book like this for like Waterdeep and Neverwinter okay. um, because we only really ever got the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide that kind of gave one page to each city. And this gives like 20 something pages just to Sigil. 
and it breaks it down by, hey, here is the the ward that we're talking about. Here are some encounters that could happen here. Here are the factions that will be in the ward that will jump you back to the list of factions. Uh, and then it gives you locations and it, every single one will give you some sort of map because all of the uh, areas within Sigil City of Doors are actually very distinct in their construction and their architecture and stuff because okay. it, in the same way the outlands are all sort of smashed together planar stuff it works the same way in here which is kind of cool and it, it kind of gives you a little bit of a idea of how you can use some of the the people because it, it doesn't go into super detail about the people but it'll be like hey there's this guy named kill silk foot foot who runs this onion shaped T street transit cart and it's like okay cool thanks for that information <laughs> on this guy uh with nothing else to really help me with it oh my cabbages okay <laughs> so is there an index in this book because i feel like an index would be really helpful uh let's see i don't think so nope not in the back in the front they give you sort of the breakdown on the contents Sure. Um, and so at least you can use that because it'll break it down. Like, here's the Hive Ward and the factions and locations and the page numbers for those. Um, but yeah, there's not an index based on individual words, which gotcha. probably would have been helpful. Would have been helpful. Uh, art, any any standout pieces or anything in this book that you would want to talk about? Um, so they do a lot of art about the gate cities. Uh, and so this, this I'm going to tie this into one of my dislikes is they dedicate a very large part of this book to Sigil, the City of Doors. Uh, and then when it comes to the Outlands, it, it's only about like, you know, 10 pages or less. And they give about one page to a whole gate city, which around the edge of the thing is there is a gate that will lead into, you know, um, like Limbo or Pandemonium or whatever. And they have individual gate cities. Uh, and this is where I wrote in my notes, the book should be called Sigil and maybe a little extra, not really Sigil and the Outlands, because they barely talk about the Outlands, which would be everything in between those gate cities and the giant donut. They, they, I think it's two pages is what they give mm. to everything else on that giant map. And there's a ton of named stuff. They just don't explain what it is, which is unfortunate. Mm. Um, but the art that they use for the gate cities uh, gives you a really good idea of the atmosphere of each of these cities, which okay. it would have been nicer to have some text to go along with a lot <laughs> of it. But uh, at least with that, you know, a picture says a thousand words. So I will give them kudos that at least there is a visual reputation for each of those. All right. Very, very cool. Um, and then we have an adventure. Now, I'm a I'm a huge fan of when they include adventures. Again, we, we even have a show that we do here called The Sample Adventures, where we play through adventures included in things like this. Uh, they usually only play one shots, and this is certainly more of a, a multiple uh, session type of thing. Um, but I, we talked a little bit before we start recording. I very rarely run in adventures as written. Like, I, I steal from them. I take plot elements, I take maps, I take encounters, but I almost never run a start here, end here adventure. Uh, so I'm not a great person to talk about adventures in that way because that's not really how I run them. Um, have you had any experience running adventures like that period? And then have you had a chance to look at this one? Is it one you would want to run? Are you stealing from it now? Those types of things. So the way that I like to do adventures is I have my core D&D &D group 
And that I pour my heart and soul into writing and creating a world. Um, I, I did the same thing with the Everwar saga that we did for the RPG Academy, where like I wrote every bit of everything that we did. When it comes to sort of the offshoots where it's like my wife's parents want to play or, you know, a couple random friends want to get together and try and do it, but you know it's going to fizzle out. Instead of putting all that extra work on myself, I'm like, okay, here are the books I own that I haven't read, that I haven't run yet. Which one would you like to do? And so that's how I ended up doing Icewind Dale. I've done Rise of Tiamat. I've done Out of the Abyss. I've done Storm King's Thunder. So I have a lot of these, uh, you know, the Lost Minds of Fandelver, all of those under my belt. And so I, I have a, an appreciation for running out of a book when it's well-structured. Mm. Out of the Abyss, not well-structured. Oh my gosh, such a bad, bad book. Um, this, on the other hand, it is structured uh, sort of mid. There's parts okay. of it that are structured really well for running straight out of the book. Um, what I hate more than anything is when they try to hide plot details from the DM, because the player shouldn't be in this book at all. Right. Players stay away. I hate that they don't just out front say, hey, here is the full adventure summary with all the twists and turns. I I, I don't understand why Wizards of the Coast wouldn't think to do that um, because they almost want you to discover the plot as you're reading rather than have it up front. And then you you know what's going on when you get to these specific scenes. And if you have to go off book, you're not just making it up. Um, right. a, a good example that I, I've run into in the past was Out of the Abyss with the actual event that caused the abyss to crack open and the demons to come into the underdark. Um, they, it was in like a little, one of those little gray boxes to the bottom left on one page near the end of the book of how it happened. And so the whole time I had been like making up my own version, but really it's this guy, Grumpf Bainer, who did it, who they're talking to, they're friends with him. And it's like, he's <laughs> the one that did it. So I don't know. That's me chasing a rabbit, but um, some things that I really liked about this book um, they do this really cool thing um, because the whole campaign centers around a uh, glitch in the matrix, if you will, or rather a glitch in the multiverse. And your character has what they call incarnations. And they give a lot of flexibility and freedom to how you want to interpret this. But their original idea is you create three characters. They're okay. all named the same. They can be different races, different classes. They can be the exactly same, but maybe they're just physically different in some way. But it is uh, their way of kind of almost going a um, paranoia where you have different clones. Okay. Uh, and it actually says that your characters are unkillable up until level 10. And so it, it kind of wants your character, like if they're trying to shut down a machine, to throw their body into the gears and let them get crushed to cause the machine to break. And then, boom, one of their other incarnations comes out walking around the street, uh, which is a cool way for new players to just get to do whatever they want and not right. worry about that painstaking loss. And of course, also for experienced players to be like, I'm going to try to make the craziest versions of my character possible. Right. Um, and just to give you an example, they kind of do a little thing where they show these are all the same characters, but one is a wizard, one's a paladin, one's a druid. Uh, one of them is like a half goat person, but they're all technically the same person. Gotcha. So um, I'm thinking like variants in the MCU, yes, like exactly. Loki type. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but memory wise, they're the exact same. And that's what okay. makes it more fun, in my opinion. Okay. Um, so that that is something that I really like about this book. 
The next thing that really is a, a cool thing for me is after they kind of handhold you through the beginning of, hey, we're going to figure out what Sigil is and the Outlands are, when they actually open it up to like, here's the campaign, uh, chapters 5 through 12, which um, kind of opens it up to XP leveling instead of um, leveling based on... Uh, what Milestone. Yes, thank you. Um, they open up the whole world and they're like, hey, here's your to-do list. You players go figure it out, which I really love when that happens in a campaign that's a written book because then it gives the players way more agency. And because everything's already written, the only real choice that the characters are making is what order they tackle things in. Sure. Um, but it gives them this sense of like, holy crap, we can choose to do, what if we choose the wrong one? And I love twisting the knife on that and making them feel like they're always making the wrong choice. <laughs> um, but that, that I, I really enjoy um, as well as tied into this is they add this kind of scorecard mechanic that's a little bit like Rise of Tiamat. I don't know if you're familiar with the scorecard. Um, basically, throughout the campaign, they have all these decisions they have to make about, should we kill this guy? Should we let him go? Should we destroy this artifact or should we keep it? Should we you know, make a deal with this faction or not? And as you do that, these leaders of this council of Waterdeep with Neverember and um, Blackstaff and all these people, they will give a thumbs up or a thumbs down on your decision. And so as the DM, you keep track of all of these decisions then at the end of the campaign, well, the end of the 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 finale or the beginning of the finale, you tally it all up and you say, "Hey, this this guy is not bringing his army because you did this to him and this to him and this to him, and he's not on board with this council anymore. He's taking his men and going home." Yeah. And based on that score, you de-level Tiamat and you give it damage already. So when yeah. they go into the fight, they feel like this whole time they've actually added something. And so the scorecard in this. Um, is this little um, thing that talks about these specific gate towns. And I, I don't know, are we allowed to be spoilery in this um, review? Well, let's just, we'll put a spoiler warning here. So if you don't want to hear this, jump ahead about 20, 25 seconds. I'll, I'll still try to keep it a little spoiler free. Right. Um, but basically the end of the adventure will tie into things that the characters have witnessed and the way that they've interacted in these five or six specific gate towns that happen in this big open section. And depending on what they write down on this little scorecard that they have to keep track of, it will change the outlook of sigil for the rest of time. Mm. Uh, and, and so it, it does it in a really cool way um, that, you know, it makes the, it makes the journey mean more when you have that big thing at the end that is affected by what you thought was just, oh, I'm just playing D&D. Because um, so many of the other books, it's like beginning, middle, end. It doesn't really matter. It's all the same. There's nothing really directly affecting that the characters are doing in a written gotcha. adventure. Okay. I do like that a lot. I, I'm I'm trying to avoid the obvious connection because I've been playing Baldur's Gate 3. I, I tell people, it's like, I'm like in college again. Like I am staying up late. Baldur's Gate for like nine hours. Like I am obsessed with that game. And it's not, you know, Planescape, but there is this huge variety of the types of characters. It's a little bit more eclectic than I would say like a normal D&D campaign that I would play in. But that's a big part of it are these relationships that you build with different groups. And, you know, you can betray or not a certain group. You can help or ignore a certain group. You can, you know, give this person information or you can just kill them and take their stuff. Like there's all these little decisions that are built in that do matter 
maybe not all, they don't all culminate in the end, but it will open or close different plot lines based on how you treat or interact with different people. And I really like that. Like I have to say, Baldur's Gate's made me want to be a better DM because I'm having so much fun with that game. And I am getting some Baldur's Gate vibes from that specific thing you're talking about that mm-hmm. you you keep up with, uh, you know, who liked this, who didn't like that, who did you trust, who did you not trust. Uh, and unlike, I would assume like Baldur's Gate where you can just like take as much time as you want this one, you may not be able to do that. You can't like spend 12 hours or 12 sessions helping these three people and then come back. This person may already be dead or gone. If it's like a, an actual story that's progressing forward, we're in the video game. You can, you know, take 37 nights off if you want, and they'll still be there waiting for you when you go in there. Uh, that's my Baldur's Gate 3 tangent. Sorry. Have you been playing Baldur's Gate 3, by the way? I have not. Oh, my God. Uh, so so this, is, this is a sneak peek here. Uh, we, we were going to approach you about our new play, you know, our, our uh-huh. new let's play campaign. We were going to try and run a Baldur's Gate 3 campaign on the stream. Oh. And so we could talk about that offline, but maybe that's a sneak peek for our Yeah, ooh, that would be cool. I, can, can I play? Because <laughs> I'm having <laughs> so much fun. Um, but I'm a ter- I have I, I would never be able to make the sessions. I'd, be, I'd miss everyone, so no. Okay. All right. So uh, art in the adventure. Any other art pieces? So there is not a lot of art unfortunately uh you know because usually with these books it's like every page there is something this one you'll get pretty big walls of text going through and most of the art is just atmospheric i mean it's good art i i don't care a lot for the battle maps so they're very like boisterous and noisy okay um, which it's good if you're doing like a colored television kind of thing and you know, like we have where you can zoom in and kind of get down to the nitty gritty. But if you're just trying to run this and you're going to draw this yourself or whatever, I know a lot of people still have to do that. They draw it on a little whiteboard. Like I do not envy those people with these giant colorful maps that are really hard to tell the details. But there is a lot of okay art, I guess. Um, But most of it's still atmospheric rather than something that you can turn and show your players as a handout which is my really favorite kind of art to say, like, Mm -hmm. this is what you find, or this is what you see. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Um, So, you know, we always like to give things a a rating here. Uh, We still go on the sort of the the grade scale, but it goes from A plus to C minus, because if there's something that we would give less than a C minus, we just don't really talk about those sorts of things. So I want to just kind of hit you, get your quick rating on each individual piece, and then we'll do a final overall rating. But before we do the rating, is there anything that you wanted to say, positive or negative, that I didn't ask a question to give you a chance to do so? Is there something you wanted to bring up? So uh, I have, I almost got through all of my likes and dislikes on this book. I have two dislikes uh, since I've been talking about a lot of likes. Um, You're right. It does go from three to 10. And then there's a jump to 17. And the jump to 17 is built into the campaign and it's where they turn off the incarnations and you Mm -hmm. find what your true incarnation is. But man, I I hate that we still don't have a high level adventure from Wizards of the Coast. We've never gotten that. Like, because if this had actually walked from three to 17 level by level, that would be a lot cooler to me. But reading through it and it was like three to 10 and then jump to 17 like, especially with new players, jumping them from level 10 to That's 17. wild. Like, I don't know how you would try and explain to somebody who's new, like, oh, you just got all of this stuff all at once. Good luck. Yeah. 
So that's that's kind of a negative for me for new players. Be, um, you know, more advanced players, they would probably love that because right. they get all the cool stuff at once. Yeah, yeah, right. But, all the new toys. Yeah, but, but it only but, lasts. But, but do you for, get a chance to actually use them? Because that's always been my sort of like um, for one chapter of the okay. Book, yeah, so. so you get all these cool toys that you probably won't even get a chance to use all of them before the campaign's over. It's like that's why I like slow progression again. Just on my soapbox is when you get a new toy or new feat, a new ability or new magic item. I want you to have time to use it for like three or four sessions before you get the next new thing. Mm-hmm. So that's just my whole thing. Okay. So uh, <coughs> DM screen and poster map wrapped together, A, B, C, D. What, how do you feel that is? So I would give that a C plus. C plus. Okay. So probably not going to get a whole lot of use. If someone just really likes that poster and wants to use it as like a piece of art, cool. Usefulness at the table, meh. Okay. Morty's Planar Parade. We got our bestiary. A, B, C, where are we thinking that lands for you? I would probably give that an A minus. Um, just okay. because like it's usable. It's usable outside of this. It's usable inside of this. Uh, you know, good art. I would give it okay. an A minus. All right. And then we got the sigil and the outlands, basically the rules, the information, lore, um, fluff, type of stuff. Where are we where are we feeling there? I would give that a B plus. There's a lot of good stuff, a little bit of annoyance, but mostly all good. All right. And then we have the adventure. So, man, this is a hard one for me because, like, running it as is, like, it's it's structured pretty well. It's low stakes that jumps to high stakes at the end. And so, man, it is – I would give it an A. We'll just give it a straight Ooh. A. Okay. If you like running out of a book, if you don't like running out of a book and you're here to dig in the graveyard for ideas, it is not – easy to string into other things okay so for myself trying to pull out of this to add to my campaign there is very little that i can other than hey sweet some npcs that actually have like names and stat blocks and stuff that was right. not in the other sigil game all right so then as a whole we got the the poster map we got the dm screen we have the bestiary we have the rules fluff lore type stuff and we have a three to ten plus a little bit of 17 adventure all that wrapped together in a, in a nice looking slipcase. Where do you, where do you settle on that? I feel like based on the C dragging us down, the A giving us up, we're kind of at like a, a B plus or A minus somewhere okay. in there, right? So that's still solid. I mean, that's really good. Yeah. B plus A minus is nothing to sneeze at. This is where I'm pulled in two directions. The the B minus is me as a DM not planning on running this as a campaign, and then the A minus is like, man, I could run this as a campaign, and it mm-hmm. would be fun. So, I, so again, I, and we've touched on, but just, I guess, to try to like articulate it, you're someone that knows Planescape already, had some interest in it. If this is someone who's like, I don't know what Planescape is, but this is the newest Watsy thing. I just want to own it. Or someone gets it for like a gift. Is this like really user-friendly if you don't know jack squat about Planescape? Or do you kind of have to come in with like a love and understanding to really get all the benefits from this? Uh, no, I think this is a perfect starter set for anybody interested in Planescape. It has the beginning part of the Sigil in the Outlands literally is like, what is Planescape? And it, it explains it all in very intricate detail. The one thing that I feel like they don't do a good job of is connecting the material plane to mm-hmm. this plane, the Sigil in the Outlands, but all the other planes obviously are connected via the gate towns to Sigil to the center of the wheel, but then they kind of leave it in part of a page somewhere hidden of how the material plane <laughs> is connected to all this, which you would hope that they wouldn't do that because that was my biggest problem as well. It's like, 
how do we get somebody from the material plane here? But clearly mm -hmm. they prefer to keep it separate, which is why they're like, hey, you already live in Sigil. You just lost all your memories because of this glitch. Mm -hmm. is how they begin the campaign. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Uh, well, certainly, again, once again, thank you to Wizards of the Coast for sending us this as a review copy. You know, it was very generous of them. Uh, we certainly really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Jake, for taking the time to dig in and, and do this review. I mean, I think this has been out for a while, uh, but one of the reasons we wanted to give you a time to actually play around with it, have the chance to read it. It wasn't like a weekend thing. You've had this for months uh, and hopefully get some use out of it. So hopefully that adds a little bit to what you were able to do with it. Um, any final thoughts or words? I mean, you don't have to, because I feel like we've covered it, but I want to give you one last chance before I wrap things up. Uh, I just, I want to thank you and the Wizards of the Coast for allowing me to review it and listening to me blabber on about it. <laughs> oh, again, literally my pleasure uh and you would be welcome back anytime there's something else you want to review um as you probably know because you're on the discord we kind of have like an open review sort of policy because we get a lot of review materials from a lot of different places and basically anybody who's part of the family and anyone who wants to be part of the family is part of the family uh that wants to do reviews we could probably make that work uh so for those of you listening if you have something you want us to review whether it's just a product that you enjoy or you like or a game that needs more love uh whether it's something you've written yourself or just again you like it contact us let us know you can email us at the rpgacademy at gmail.com i cannot promise that we will do those reviews but we do get lots of requests we try to fulfill the ones that we can uh, but as always if we just don't like something we don't talk about it so it's possible that we have gotten some games in the past that just never made it to air um that's what we do, whether you understand or agree with it. I don't know what to tell you. That's just the way we've decided to do things here. Uh, but that is going to wrap things up. So, again, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we do have some more reviews that we're working on. Please join us on Discord. I am off Twitter. I don't. I haven't been there in months. I don't plan on ever going back. I am on Blue Sky, but I'm not on there a lot. So, really, Facebook and Discord are the two best places to get a hold of me if you want to interact with me uh, or email, again, the RPGacademy at gmail.com. Jake, are you on socials anywhere? If people want to try to find you, where, where could they go? Uh, I'm on the Discord. You can find me on the Discord at, I think, Frenzied Furling. Um, I don't do X or Twitter or whatever we're supposed to call it or Facebook. I don't do anything. I just sit around and 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 read books <laughs> yeah and and 3d print things for your That's game right true i do do that i'm actually i need to Pick your brain about that because I'm thinking about getting a 3D printer to start printing some stuff. But that's oh, a different conversation for yeah. another day. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Thanks, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.